What can we do? You know, that's a question that can be asked to, for limits. What, what can we do? What are the limits to uh, that mom and dad or the school or whatever is going to allow us? What can we do? What it, what's the permission are we given? What should we do or can we do can also be the invitation to uh, learn how we can help out, how we can make a difference. We're going to be in Acts chapter 6 again this evening. Not that you paid, remember a whole lot from this morning anyway. I mean, I just, that's the way it is, correct? So it is a different sermon, I promise you. But tonight we're going to be ordaining uh, one of our young men, Mike Stevens. Mike is hiding over there in the corner. Mike, raise your hand, and his wife Beth, and his, uh, their, their three boys. Mike has been a member of this church for many years now. Mike and Beth have been and joined not long after Cindy and I got here. And so, Mike, I am going to be preaching to you. Uh, I'm going to be preaching to all of our deacons, uh, all of our future deacons out here as well as to everybody else because the, the subject of what can we do and what should we do is, uh, is certainly not just to deacons. We're going to start with where we did this morning. Problems come up, don't they? Problems just happen. In verse 1 and 2, it says, In those days when the numbers of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would, be not, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. A quick review uh, for those of you who were here and listened. And uh, for those of you who were here and didn't listen this morning. Or if you weren't here, we'll kind of run through this again. The church is exploding. You go back this evening and you start in Acts chapter 1. They started out with 120 people. And then uh, by Acts chapter 2, they had 3,000. Wouldn't that be awesome? Uh, church grew by 3,000. Can you imagine the pictures in the newsletter? That would have been a, a, a nightmare, wouldn't it? A good nightmare. By Acts chapter 4, they're at 5,000. I mean, this is a church literally on the move and on the rise. And here we are in chapter 6, and it says, The number of disciples was increasing, and the word increasing there, it, it means it was a rapid multiplying growth. And, and this was people being saved, what it was. Disciples first means a convert in the New Testament. These are, these are people coming to Jesus Christ. And, and as the church is growing, problems start to happen. Now, this morning we look more at some of this from, from your viewpoint from the world. And tonight we're going to look more about it from the church. But here's a, here's a true principle. Anytime a church starts growing, it's going to have more problems. As I said this morning, that's when the devil will attack you. The devil does not attack a sleepy dead church. When you can store potatoes in the baptistry because it's a cool, dry place, the devil's going to leave you alone. <laughs> but when you start to grow, you have some fundamental problems. You have parking problems, don't you? You have, uh, you have space problems. You have problems because you've sat in that place for many years, and now somebody else has decided to come sit in your spot. And that can be disturbing. You have power problems because when a church runs 20, 
Uh, there may be three people who run the whole gig or one person, but when it gets to 200, 400, 600, you begin to have a shift in leadership. That's what was happening here. You were having some problems. The Grecian Jews, the Grecian widows, these were, these were widows that were Jewish people, Jewish ladies who had come to Christianity, converts to Christianity. But they had grown up and lived outside of Palestine, outside of Jerusalem. And they had come to Jerusalem, some of them for the Passover and end up getting saved. Uh, I'll tell you in just a moment more about why they were there. But, but they're, more, they're, they're Jewish people who are now converts, but they're Greek in their language and in their culture. The Hebraic Jews, who the problem it was with, these are Jewish widows who were really kind of born and raised in Jerusalem and in Palestine. They spoke Aramaic. They were more Hebrew in nature. So you have some cultural and racial tensions going on here. And, and it says, talking about them feeding the widows. Well, this is going to be real important to what we believe the office of deacon is. The, there was a, a large number of widows in Jerusalem because a lot of Jewish people wanted to come back there and die and be buried in Jerusalem. And they still do. So women stress us out and men die earlier for the most part, Right? I mean, that's national average, that's the, and that's my unprofessional opinion what happens, of course. But um, so you have a large number of, of these widows here. You don't have a lot of the social services that we have, the government social services. So Jewish people for centuries had been very good at taking care of the poor and the needy, and now Christianity's doing the same thing. The synagogue and the temple, weekly, they took up an offering for the poor and the needy and for the widows. The church was doing that. Weekly, the synagogue or the temple would lay out a table for, for food, either to be given out or for people to come eat. The church is apparently doing that every day. And what's happening is, is you've got, you've got the Hebraic group. It doesn't even say it was the women. It was their supporters. And the, the Grecian group group supporters, they're starting to fight among themselves. In verse 1, it says uh, there was complaining, and the word complaining there literally means murmuring. You know what murmuring is? It's gossiping. It's grumbling. It's the whisper in the hallway, or it's the phone call where, I don't know if I like what's going on at that place or that church or that organization. And the deacons uh, had not been created yet, but the ministers had. And in verse 2, it says, The twelve gathered all the disciples and said, We can't do this. Now, their preaching, the twelve, was Peter, James, and John. They added Matthias after Judas died. And they said, We can't continue to preach and to lead and do pastoral care for 6,000 people at this point. We just cannot do it. So there was a problem. The church had hit a, a point where disunity was starting to sneak and seep in. And it was fixing to threaten the health of the church. This was a crucial time in the life of the church. And they made two decisions here that, that changed everything. And the first is this, and we talked about this this morning, so this will be a quick review. They looked for the right kind of Christian people. They, they, they said, we've got to find the right kind of person, and we want this person to be the right kind of person, right kind of Christian. 
There you go. Thank you. Be right with Christ. Be right with Christ. In verse 3, it says, Look, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility. They said, we've got problems in the church. The church is Jesus Christ's body. It's not a place to play around with, to jack around with, and to let the devil run it. Amen? And so they said, we've got to get some people who can make a difference. These people need to be full of the Holy Spirit. That simply means God-controlled. And they need to be wise. We need some new leaders, servant leaders in the church. They need to be wise. They need to do, know how to do life well with God and other people. And again, I believe this is where the deacon comes onto the scene. So if we were talking about a deacon, Mike, tonight, the first thing we're talking about is a, is a person who needs to be godly, needs to be a God-controlled person and a person who does life well and wisely. How many of you have ever heard of Wake Forest University? Do you know what their mascot is? The Demon Deacons. Now, that was a bad, I guess it still is a Baptist university. How many of you deacons agree that the Board of Trustees was a bunch of pastors who were angry at deacons when they created that name? Is that not terrible? I, what are their ladies? You know, we have the, the, the Bulldogs and the Texters. I guess they're the fighting WMUers. I don't know what their ladies are. But, but how crazy. The demon deacons. The last thing you need is a demon deacon. Amen. Mike, when they went looking for a deacon, they, they weren't looking for guys that we don't know if these guys had money or if they had power, but what we know is they had walk with Jesus Christ and that they were God-filled and that they were, they were wise. And I said this this morning, you can have a lot of education and not be wise. So the first thing that we need is we need men and we need people. We need women. We need all of our members to be people who seek to walk with Jesus Christ. That's how you begin to solve problems and keep a church or anything on the right track. But let's look at this, the next big thing this evening, and it's one word, and that's the word serve. The word serve. They had problems. They were looking for the right kind of people. Here, it was the right kind of men. And what they wanted them to do, they wanted them to serve and to help. Now, normally, what, what do we normally do? What do we normally do when there's problems? May I suggest we murmur? You agree? We criticize? How many of you are always smarter than the coach? How many of you are always smarter than the coach? You are. Why did he do that? That's the dumbest thing in the world. We critique, we argue, we fuss, and certainly there's a time to debate. Certainly there's a time to analyze, but the bottom line is when the early church was having its first big conflict, they weren't looking for people to criticize. They were looking for people to do this. They were looking for people to serve. They were looking for people to help. In verse 1, I'm going to walk you through this. There's some very interesting words here. It says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. If you're taking notes, here's a very interesting thing. That word distribution is a noun, 
And we get our word deacon from that word. It literally means to labor, to serve, or to assist. It means to do something to benefit other people. And, and then you go to verse 2, and it says, So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. The word wait there comes from the same root word as that word distribution. Again, where do we get our word deacon from? It just has a different ending. And, and it means to wait on. It means to serve. Listen to what it means. It means to bring advantage to someone else, to bring an advantage to someone else. And verse 3, choose seven men among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. And let's go through verse 4 through 6. And we will give our attention, they said, to prayer and the ministry of the word. In verse 5, the proposal pleased the whole group. So they chose Stephen, a man full of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorius, Nicanor, Timian, Parmenius, and Nicholas. Why couldn't this just been Fred, Bill, and Steve? From Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. We're going to be laying hands on Mike in, in just a moment. And that's not just a church ritual. It's not just something what we do because we, we uh, you know, you're supposed to do it in, in the Baptist book. It tells you to do it. Biblically, laying on the hands had a lot of different ideas. It, it, you, you saw people lay hands on folks to pray for healing. You saw in Acts people laid hands on people to receive the Holy Spirit, uh, to receive a blessing. But I think here, and what we're going to be doing in a moment, is it's a confirmation. And, and Mike, it's a commission. It's, it's charging you with a, a new task and upping your game. For Jesus Christ and your church here. There's some scholars that debate this. But I believe that this is the, the, where the, the deacon came into existence. Really the only other place deacon is found in the Bible is in 1 Timothy 3. Where it describes what a deacon should be like. But I believe this is where the deacon came from. Mike, we talked about this in our meetings together. The word deacon literally means a servant. A servant. Herschel Hobbes, the great New Testament scholar, said the word deacon, the, the history of the word, is, is it's a servant who's willing to do anything. I, that, did you get that? It's a servant who's willing to do anything. They're willing to get their hands dirty. They're willing to get their shoes dirty. They're willing to do anything that needs to be done and that, that should be done. My God has called you to a higher level of, of service. Isn't that cool? Years ago, a wonderful, wonderful young man in my church was becoming a deacon. And he was a great, he was a great guy, he is a great guy, and he was a fantastic deacon. But I asked him, I said, what do you think, what is it going to mean for you to be a deacon? And here's what he said, I'll have more power in the church. <laughs> and all he was coming from was from what he had seen. Mike, I, I told you this, a deacon in every church I've pastored have been, have been our top shelf guys, no question about it. And their leaders, their leaders in every church I've pastored, not because they demand the stick, because of who they are. Oswald Sanders, a great 
Christian writer said leadership at its most basic, uh, most basic form is influence. And when you're influencing people, you're leading people. Great deacons are servants, and great servants influence people. How can you hurt, help your church? There may be times when things have to be critiqued and adjusted. There's no question about that. But every deacon here and every young person here, every older person here, and everybody in between here, wherever you go to church, you can make your church better by jumping in there and asking, what can I do to help? What can I do to help? Say amen. There's always, listen, Jesus 2,000 years ago, here's what Jesus said. Pray for workers. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. I've pastored churches of 20 and I've pastored in a church of 800. You know what? The, the workers are always few. I always thought if I got a big church, there'd be plenty of workers. There's just more work to do. <laughs> There's just more work to do. And, and, the, and the pastors and the ministers can't do it all. They, they shouldn't have to do it all. There's a study done of, of churches in America that are consistent home run hitters. Churches that really reach people, disciple people, and make a difference in their community. Here were three of the characteristics they had. They had strong pastoral leadership. They had strong preaching. I know, two strikes against us right there, right? And number three, they had lay people, deacons, men and women, folks in the church, in abundance who were willing to get in there and work and to help. Someone said, if you go to a football game, a big football game, there's 50,000 people in the stands who desperately need exercise, cheering on 22 people on the field who desperately need rest. <laughs> That's like a lot of churches. Mike, God's called you to a great position here. God's called you to be a servant of a higher level. God's called you to help make your ministers better by helping us carry some of the load. He's called you to, to jump in there, and, and I know you, and I believe you're this kind of guy who, who's willing to say whatever it is I need to do that I want to do it. That's what God called these men to do. And let me tell you, in closing, doing right produces what's right. Doing wrong doesn't produce right. You say, oh, pastor, that's so silly and naive. Why, why do we miss it so much? Doing right is what produces right. In verse 7, so the word of God spread. This is after the deacons were put into place. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Here's what happened. The church, the church had a unity problem. The church was fixing to have some big issues. They choose these seven men who are godly. They give them a task of service. These men do it. The church is reunified. The evangelism is happening, and the Great Commission is fixing to explode. When it says a large number of the priests were being saved, this is the Sadducees. These were people who hated Jesus, and now they are being saved. Mike, it's got to be traced to some degree to how the church figured out its problems and how these Sadducees not only heard the message, but they saw the people willing to get in there and do anything they could to help, and they said that Christianity must be true. Isn't that neat? Right always produces right. 
I want to ask you a question this evening. Are you doing what's right and what's needed to help your church? Henry Blackaby, Henry Blackaby's the man, many of you know his name. He, uh, he's a great Southern Baptist leader and a writer. Henry Blackaby penned these words, and I, write these down if you, you're taking notes, and, and keep this before you. Henry Blackaby said, how are you helping your church grow? What are you doing to help your church grow? Well, that's not my job. Oh, I beg to differ, it's your job. I've actually had a person many, 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 many years ago in a galaxy far away tell me their job was to keep the church in line. And I was too young and dumb and to say, please move your membership somewhere else and help them. How are you helping your church grow? Let me tell you, when, when you grab a towel and a broom and you say, what can I do? Sure, you need to pray hard and invite, but when you're willing to do anything you can to make it better, you're going to help your church grow. I heard Ed Young Sr. Ed Young Sr. has been the pastor at Second Baptist Houston for many years. Ed Young Sr. was asked in a conference, what do you need to do to see your church grow? He said, well, obviously it's got to be in a, in a, in a growth area if you're, you're in an area that's got 3,000 people and you're losing 500 a month. It's going to be hard for that church to hit 2,000, 10,000, 20,000. But he said, fundamentally, if a church is, listen to this, fundamentally, if a church is being a church, it can't help but grow. Isn't that neat? The preachers are preaching and praying and leading and serving too. And the deacons are serving and helping and the people are jumping in there and helping. I believe with all my heart when that happens, God blesses that. God blesses that. I want to read to you a quote, part of a sermon from Martin Luther King, Jr. The sermon was titled, The Drum Major Instinct. And listen to what he says. And, Mike, listen to what he says about greatness. He says, everybody can be great because everyone can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and your verb agree to serve. You don't have to know about Plato and Aristotle to serve. You don't have to know Einstein's theory of relativity to serve. You don't have to know the second law of thermodynamics and physics to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love, and you can be a servant, and thus being a servant, you can be great. My God's called you to a next level of service. Cherish this moment. Sometimes I, I think the pastors and deacons, they forget their ordination. They forget what they agreed to. They forget the specialness of this night. Don't ever forget it, Mike. Look at that, that license we're going to give you in a moment. Look at that other things we're going to give you. And you cherish that and you remember what God's called you to do. And I want to say this to everyone here tonight. God's called you to be great too. And greatness is found, according to God, when we're willing to serve. So this evening, of course, if you're here and you don't know Christ, we would love for you to come and give your life to Christ. We'd love for you to join our church if, if God's leading you to. But every one of us here, Mike, every one of us here, deacons, every one of us here, whether it's where we're standing at the altar, I challenge you to re-up your service to Jesus Christ and his church.
Let's stand. As God leads you, you come. We'll be waiting on you.